It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. This is a Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 17th, 2015. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. Monty's behind the controls. Monty uh, called you in last minute tonight. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. It's good to have you with us tonight. And uh, looking forward to the discussion. We've got an important uh, topic tonight, one we've talked about before, but worthy to, worth talking about again uh, because there are lots of misconceptions on the subject. I want to talk about marriage tonight uh, yeah. and just deal with some not not all related other than they're all related to the subject of marriage, but just a number of questions that come up from time to time. People ask, uh, questions are raised. Unfortunately, some false teaching is done. So we want to talk about marriage, some questions about marriage and divorce, of course. You sent out 12 questions earlier today and uh – it's going to be an. It's an. It's actually thirteen questions. It's going to be a. It's going to be. A yeah, we'll have to go pretty fast to get through them all. But yeah. before we get into those questions tonight, we get started on a good note tonight. Uh, Joe from Kentucky has called us. Joe, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be on here tonight. Yeah. What part of Kentucky are you from, Joe? Eastern Kentucky. Okay. Well, uh, uh, your question or comment to get us started tonight. Well, I was just mostly tuning in to listen tonight, my first time to call. Yes, sir. Good. Uh, did you have a, did you have a particular thought uh, on a specific part of this question of these questions that we're going to deal with tonight, or did you just have a general comment or anything? No, I just uh, a friend of mine let me know about it, and I, I found your web page, and I found the uh, Facebook page, and. And I thought uh, it would just be interesting to tune in tonight. Well, okay, glad that you did. Glad that you did. Are you able to get us live on your on your computer? I probably could. Uh, I, I didn't didn't have time to really uh, analyze all that, so I just thought I'd call in. Well, well, of course, uh, we're going to be going for an hour here, so you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome to stay on the line, Bill, to our uh, Joe tonight, if you'd like. We can just. Uh, if it's easier for you to stay on the line, we can do that. But sometimes we get other calls as well, so you'll so the line would be tied up if you stayed on the whole hour. But we, uh, hope, uh, well, that, the best way I, to get your. Well, I, can, I can get my computer and try to. Yeah, that, that's the way to go. That's the way to go at okay. it. There, look us up on there, okay. and then uh, later right. as the program progresses, if you have a specific thought or comment to make, why call us back. Okay, thanks. Thank, thank, you, thank you, Joe. Glad you're out there, and uh, hope you have success getting connected there on your computer tonight. And uh, appreciate Joe for being there. Appreciate you for being here as well. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. You can join in the chat room with other listeners, and that chat room's filling up now, and we expect to get busier as the night goes on. So go ahead and get your seat taken there. Sign in the chat room and chat with other listeners on the subject of marriage and divorce. Certainly it is a problem in our society. We talked about it recently as uh, the fact that uh, – Churches and Christians have caved and compromised on the subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage in the past. And it, and I believe, and I think you do as well, Dad, that it is the reason why we are in the situation we are in, in our society today with homosexual marriage being accepted because we gave up any ground that we would have to stand on. I think that's uh, right. We've in, talked about that recently quite a bit as right. we've talked about same-sex right. marriage and the problem of same-sex marriage and the legalization of that, that really a lot of religious groups have no moral leg to stand on because they have compromised so much on what the Bible teaches about divorce. All right. The phone line's hopping tonight, and uh, Bill in Texas is on the line. Bill, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Fact that, well, uh, thank you very much. Bill, turn down your turn down your computer. We're getting a double talk here. Yeah, okay, I've got it turned. Thank down. you, Bill. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Good to hear from you tonight, Bill. Thank you. Uh, your question or comment, sir? Uh, at this point, I, I don't have a question or a comment, but uh, it's interesting your 
your 13 questions. I don't see how in the world you're going to get through all of them, but I'm sure I'll have some comments by the time uh, you get to the uh, to the end of all the questions. But all right, I, I tried to uh, tried to give you answers to to what I thought. I've, I've got an email. Yeah, we. We've got your email here. In fact, we've got your email. We've got one from Joe who called in just a minute ago, too. So we'll try to work those since in. Since you're on the line, uh, Joe, we'll let you start with your answer on the first question. And, and then, uh, this is Bill. Uh, Bill, oh, sorry, yeah. Bill. Sorry, Bill. You can, uh, since, since you're here, why don't, why don't answer the first question for us? Does God care about the details of someone's marriage? Or is, isn't he just happy if we have a happy relationship and a successful family? Are you, are you asking Bill? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, you, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give you a chance yeah. to answer. Yeah, we've only got one line at a time here. We don't have multiple lines, so while we're talking to oh, you, we can oh, okay. only talk. Yeah. I understand. Okay. Uh, my answer to that was, sure, God cares about the most important uh, thing in a Christian's life, our family. It uh, it affects the church. It affects the country. And, uh, and he sure, sure, he wants Christians to be happy. But this doesn't mean uh, that we have to be... Uh, uh, disobedient to his uh to what his commands are about covenant marriages as as jesus jesus described in matthew 19 4 through 6 i think you're right bill i think you're right bill what if what if you know i'm not happy with my current wife but i found me a nice new girlfriend and that's what it's really going to take to make me happy i'm going to have to leave my wife and go get this new girlfriend and if if God's just interested in me being happy, then He would say, "Well, that's okay. You just you go ahead and divorce your wife. Go get that new girlfriend." If happiness, if that's you know that, that's what's wrong with our world a lot today is that people think it's all about them being happy well, and doing whatever it takes to be happy. That, yeah. that, that's right. And not only that, let me tell you, what if those same feelings that you that you've got for this new woman that you think you found. Uh, you, those same feelings you had for your first wife, that, and you've broken those, uh, that love, uh, bond that you have with your first wife. You had those feelings with your first wife also. That's right, that's right. And people, but people are so fickle and they're so disloyal and they're so dishonest, uh, and they, and they don't live up to their promises and their commitments and, that's the world we live in, and that's why we have such a tremendous problem. Well, with God divorce. does want us to be happy. The stipulation here is though we don't get to define what happy is. God, yeah. and, and fortunately, but, the Creator who knows what true happiness is has defined that for us, yeah. and He's given us the parameters to live but in. But the thing of it is, God's plan works, and we will be happy right. if we follow that's the right. plan. How many people do you know who have really truly been happy by divorcing and remarrying and divorcing and remarrying? That's 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 a failed process. God knew that. God knew that real happiness would be achieved by marrying, being committed for life, uh, following through with our promises, living up to that commitment. That's what brings true. I think probably everybody who's listening tonight, if they would think of the people they've known, the people who are older that they've known who've really lived a happy life, the, those people are going to be people who were married and committed and stayed married. That, that 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 group of really happy people is not going to include a lot of people who've gone through divorces and remarriages. And if we're going to play by that rule that God wants me to be happy and anything that makes me happy must be okay, then, Monty, that breaks down really quickly because what if it makes me happy to steal your wife or it makes me happy uh, to take your vehicle because that's what I'd like, then... Uh, if we're just going to play by the rules that if it makes me happy, it must be okay, then things get chaotic in a hurry. Serial killers feel like it makes them happy to go out and murder people in various and assorted ways. Well, if that's what makes me happy is what justifies it and makes it okay with God, then I can be a serial killer and be fine. So that's an absolutely unworkable rule, and I think Bill's right. And, and, and yes, God wants us to be happy, and he's put in his word a plan that will work in making us happy and having fulfillment and satisfaction. But we've got to follow his plan, not try to devise our own. Bill, well, thanks for calling tonight. Maybe, stay on, uh, st- stay tuned in, and if you have any further comments as we go along, why well, you're welcome to call back. Okay, well, what is the time lag between the phone call and what's on, what I'll see on my uh, computer? It's going to be probably 30 or 40 minutes, uh, 30, 40 seconds, That's probably right. 30, 40 oh, second oh, lag. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll turn up my computer. Okay, right. thanks. Thank you, uh, and, bye-bye. And, and, and thanks for taking my call. Yes, You're thank welcome. you, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, uh, so the line is open, and Bill can may call back later, but you can call in now, 877-381-4567. Two calls right at the start of the program. It makes for a good program. Yeah. I think maybe it'll feed on itself. Other listeners will realize if we call in, we don't have to listen to those guys yeah. anymore. But uh, better, we uh, didn't even get to describe fully uh, the, the topic or to tell everyone who's listening that we sent out to our update list earlier today 13 questions on marriage. And we've just talked about the first one. The first one was, does God really care about particulars? Does he care? Uh, how did I word that? Does God really care about the details of someone's marriage? Isn't he just interested in a happy relationship and a successful family? And I think we've dealt with that very well. But we've got, we've got a few tw- comments along those lines. You okay, go ahead. Other- uh, Rick says, if God doesn't care about having successful, happy relationships... Why does he reveal so much about it? Uh, how much, how each mate is to treat the other? Uh, the regulations regarding divorce and marriage. Uh, again, why, if God doesn't care, why uh, would He give some yeah. instructions? And, and some of those instructions, Randy in Michigan cites uh, an important passage of those instructions from Matthew nineteen four through six. He, thank, he put that. To, thank you, Randy. And Rick follows up. He says, "We must understand the God who created us and the marriage relationship knows what is best for man." as well as what will make for a happy marriage relationship. I think that's right. Absolutely. And uh, Josh, who's, uh, I think, down in Georgia tonight, says, The Bible commands husbands to love their wives, Ephesians 5.25. So if I'm not loving my wife, then I need to repent. Biblical love is a choice, not something that you fall in and out of. I think you're right, Josh. Thank you for that, Josh. Good comments. And then Randy uh, in Michigan says, It is all about God today, and in the world, it is all about God. Uh, and so uh, we certainly have to be interested in what God wants. Yeah, but unfortunately, and I think maybe Randy uh, meant that in the world today, it, it's all about me. Yeah. You know, and that's the way a lot of people are living, and that's why we have some of the problems we're discussing in the program tonight. That's right. Okay. Let's take the second question. Again, we sent out 13. Uh, the second one is closely related. So you, uh, the question is, Jacob, are we being legalist now? Question two, are we being legalist if we demand strict adherence to biblical truth concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Well, and Bill answered. He said all of Jesus' new kingdom uh, marriage laws are binding and legal. You know, if that gets that, that really gets down to the, the crux of the issue. We talked about being legalist not too long ago and how people condemn that. If you try and say uh, that you've got to do something oh well you're just being legalistic for instance we say jesus told us that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved that he believeth not shall be damned and we say well see there you've got to be baptized and we say oh you're just being legalistic well if you're going to just throw out commands and say well we can't expect someone to follow those commands because that's being legalistic then you'd have to throw out the ones about marriage and divorce free marriage as well so oh that's just legalistic but if you throw those out can you also throw out the ones about adultery and homosexuality and murder, yeah. uh, where do you stop? Yeah. It, it, in other words, everybody wants to have some rules from the Bible. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. I like those. Those, are, those make D- sense to me. Don't kill. Yeah. But if if I'm able to pick and choose the ones I want, then as Monty was saying a minute ago, maybe the other guy chooses that the one he doesn't like is thou shalt not kill. Yeah. And so he comes after me. Yeah. You know, so the only place to draw the line is to draw the line where the Bible draws the line. And and certainly, I think in the world today, we're going to be considered legalists when we do that. But oh, we just can't apologize for saying that's what God's word says. That's what we've got to do. And, and do you want to stand before God in the day of judgment and tell him that you reduced his instructions to just being legalism? You know, God, I didn't. I thought that was unreasonable. Yeah, I thought it was being pretty legalistic. Yeah, you know, God, I mean, come on, that's that's pretty extreme. And, and, yeah. and it's all about rules and stuff. I mean, Come on, God. We don't need all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good luck with that. We had an email from Joe. Our first caller had sent in an email, and we didn't. uh, Let me back up to get his first answer and then include his second answer. The Holy Scriptures deal with the will of God on marriage, such as we read in 1 Corinthians 7, for example. If God had not cared, he would would, uh, not have included so many passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, New Testament concerning marriage. It matters to the extent that in Ephesians 5, we see the marriage relationship as a parallel to the marriage of Christ and his church. The question should not be what we, and, and, and this, in this matter of legalism, he says the question should not be what we think, but what does the Bible say? First uh, Corinthians 6, beginning verse 10, teaches that those who are in adulterous relationship or homosexual, among other sins, cannot inherit the kingdom of God except they repent and do the will of Christ. I think that's exactly right, Joe. 
All right, we need to quickly get to your next question because we're going to have to do at least three uh, per segment, maybe four, to get 13 in. And your question was, how can any teaching on marriage, divorce, remarriage be right if it divides families? Yeah, okay. Now, here you go, so, Jacob. You're going to be – so, so you've, you've already admitted here, you're going to be a legalist about this. You're going to be a real stickler about what the Bible says. But you know when you do that that you're going to be causing some – People to have to break up their their marriages, and and maybe some of those people have got kids, and and families are going to be divided. And it's and a broken. loving, happy family. They I mean, really, they, this man and this woman really love each other. Now that's not their first marriage. She was married twice before, and he was married three times before. But they have finally found the right person, and they really love each other, and they got a couple of kids together. Right? You're telling me that you're going to insist that they separate? Uh, in order to adhere to the biblical law of, uh, of marriage, divorce, remarriage? Well, we could take that to an extreme. Let's say that this couple uh, was happily married, and they divorced, and he ran off and married another man, and they adopted children. They're doing that now. They are, and and, it's, and they're very happy together, and the, the kids love the, the arrangement. And are you just going to say that God's laws of marriage, divorce, and remarriage are... Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. If you're going, it, Once you cross the line, yeah. there's no stopping place. But, but to this point, I want you... And I say you got your Bible open yeah, to the you text. Got it, you got it there, too. Uh, yeah, good. Now, I'm going to ask the question you answered. Yeah. Do you mean to tell me that a loving God... I just can't believe that a loving God would ever require someone to break up a family a marriage where there are children involved. I just can't believe that God would do that. That's that's. And again, I'm playing a part here of someone in the world who that's the response we often get. Well, we have biblical precedents in Ezra chapter 10. The Israelites had taken foreign women. They were commanded not to do that. In Ezra chapter 10, it talks about how the children of Israel are convicted that they have done wrong and they're going to repent. They're sorry that they have taken these pagan wives that they were not supposed to take. In fact, they were told that they had to separate. Ezra the priest, verse verse 10 of Ezra 10, Ezra the priest stood and said to them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Now, notice what they said in verse 12. Oh, come on, God, you're being unreasonable. These these wives are making us happy. We've got kids. No, look, then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you have said, so we must do. Yeah. And goes on there, and it verse lists 19, the people that, have, yeah. that did all this. And verse 19 says, They gave their hands that they would put away the wives, and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their trespasses. And then you skip to the very last verse of the chapter, and, and it talks about a whole bunch of people who, who separated from their, their, their wives, that they didn't have a, 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 a moral, lawful right to be married under the law of Moses. And it says that they separated. It said all these had taken strange wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. But that was done at the instruction of God. Now, we don't live under the Old Testament law of Moses. We understand that. But we're using that Ezra 10 argument to say, how can you? How can anyone today say God would never require such a thing when we have a biblical record of an instance where He did require that sort of thing? Now, is it unfortunate that the the, the family has to separate from from our view? It might be. Is it uh, is it maybe difficult for the children? Perhaps it is. But God demands that we follow His instructions, regardless of the cost, and we need to be willing. Uh, to have the faith that it causes us to be obedient. And so uh, we, haven't, we yeah. haven't gotten into the, the questions about when that might be necessary. I think we will later on tonight. But just on the, uh, to lay down the groundwork, there may be times when families have to separate in order to be right with God. Joe in Kentucky says, if we love Christ, we will do his commandments. If my obedience and love for Christ prevents me from doing what the fleshly carnal nature desires, that is in accord with my covenant with Christ. We must deny ourselves Never should we deny Christ and his law of faith. I think that's right. All right. And, and Bill said, uh, Bill in Texas said, Jesus' new kingdom marriage law does not divide or separate families. Man does that because of sin. Why, why do elders condone the breakup of a family? They say because of adultery, but yet will not condone the breakup of a couple living in adultery. Well, that's an interesting comment. Yeah. And, uh, but, but the idea is it, it's not us that's saying that certain people must not, 
stay together. It's not us who's saying that's an unscriptural marriage. It's not us who's saying that's an adulterous relationship. The Word of God is saying that, and therefore, and we're going to talk about this more as we go on, but like every sin, if we're in, if we're in adultery, then we have to repent of that sin. All right, Monty, go ahead. Just like every sin, if we're going to be right with God, it requires repentance. And so if we're in an unscriptural marriage, a marriage that God is clearly defined as being wrong, if we're going to be right with God, then we have to repent of that and get out of it. And that's all. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Every sin I might do requires repentance. And if it happens to be an unscriptural marriage, it still requires repentance. And I can't stay in that relationship. We don't want to be flippant about saying that. I mean, that's, that's a difficult, that's a difficult oh, it's a big thing deal. to accept. Oh, a huge deal. Uh, and, and, and we're and, not, and, we're not dim, diminishing how hard that would be to do. Right. Right, but we are saying that we need to understand that it might, there are certain circumstances where it will be necessary in order to be right with God if we're in a marriage that we don't have a right to be in. Rick in the chat room says, legalist is a term thrown around very loosely anytime some disagree with others. Are we to be legalist in regard to the command to love God and one another? Obviously, yes. All right, uh, let's quickly get a break, and when we get back, then we need to talk about what constitutes a biblical marriage. That was your next question. Right. And, uh, well, we've got some other ones here. Are people married as soon as they have intercourse? And what is a biblical divorce? We'll hopefully get those on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. Here's some quotes worth pondering. When once the heart is gained, how easily is all the rest corrected? This is why God, above all things, requires the heart. If there's anything in your life which you know to be wrong, do not sleep until you have the thing settled with God. He that won't be counseled can't be helped. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, and we want to hear from you. 877-381-4567. Talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and some unpopular things that uh, the, the Scriptures teach. We want to get into those a little bit farther here as we go along. Again, we don't want to be uh, flippant or minimize the uh, the difficulty that repenting and uh, obeying these commands may be for some. But yet we believe the Bible is very clear on what uh, God expects for us in the marriage relationship. And it is quite different than the paradigm we see in our society today, in which marriages come and go and change them like we change our socks. Uh, Certainly it's a different picture we read in the the scriptures. I think you're right. We're going to have to go quick to cover all this territory. I want to take the next two questions together, Jacob. Okay. What constitutes biblical marriage and are people married as soon as they have an intimate sexual relationship? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, let's let's answer the second part first. I don't think people are married just because they have a sexual relationship. Right. Uh, there is a there there is the sin of fornication, illicit, uh, illegal, unlawful right. sexual intercourse or relationship. Uh, there is the sin of fornication. Uh, two people just committing fornication are not married. And and I think we see the real picture of marriage when God instituted it in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, beginning, Adam said, this is speaking of Eve, the woman, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And it goes on and says they were both naked and not ashamed. Um uh, 
Jesus repeated that basis of marriage in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so, it's clear that there has to be intention to be married, a leaving, a cleaving, and, and so not only an intention, but a committed covenant-type relationship, a promise is made. Right. A leaving and a cleaving, and, a, and then a becoming as one person, one flesh. Uh, so it's not just ha- having a sexual relationship. Uh, that's not what constitutes marriage. And uh, so I, I, I've known some people in the past who've taken that view. I just don't think it's a biblical view. We, uh, we were talking about this last night in our Bible class here uh, in the church at College U about uh, in, back in Genesis chapter 34 with Dinah and Shechem. Having, they had relations, and uh, in the Old Testament, obviously we're not under the Old Testament law today, but it wasn't considered uh, that they were married after that uh, that incident. There was, again, that because, request Because be he wanted, yeah. they had a sexual relationship, yeah. and then Shechem wanted to marry Dinah and, yeah. and said to Jacob, ask me whatever dowry you will and I'll pay it. Yeah. So he knew they weren't married yet. Right. Everybody knew they weren't married yet. Yeah. Now, but there is a there, there is uh, an argument that will be made from First Corinthians chapter six, verse sixteen, where you talked about this uh, this this language where God said that uh, you would leave your father and mother and the two would become one flesh. Well, that same language is used with reference to the uh, fornication in First Corinthians chapter six, verse sixteen. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? the two, he says, shall become one flesh. How do you explain I think, that? I think that's using that in a restricted sense. Okay. Part of the, part of the marriage relationship is the coming together in, in a sexual union. Right. And I think here Paul is just using one narrow aspect of that broader concept okay. of becoming one flesh. Okay. All right. Our listeners uh, tonight uh, have said... Uh, to the question, does that constitute a marriage? Uh, Bill says, no, of course not. And Joe says, according to the Bible, one can commit fornication outside of the bonds of marriage. One can enter in, cannot in, enter into the holy covenant of marriage by sinning against the will of God in an illicit sexual act. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know there, there, has, there is something clearly that identifies two people married versus two people who are just committing fornication. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in any culture or, or society, there there is something that denotes a marriage. Right. Uh, and so in our country, uh, it would involve following certain civil procedures that, that I think are also a part of what makes marriage, uh, because we do what our society requires in order to be recognized as married. You know, I've always heard the old illustration of uh, here, here's some uh, uh, tribe in Africa and, and what what a man and a woman do there in order to be married is that they hold hands and they jump over a broomstick. Okay. If that's what it is, then that's what it is. If that's what constitutes marriage there, then that's what they should do. They shouldn't just go off and start having a sexual relationship. That'd be fornication. But if they hold hands and jump over the broomstick and everybody says, oh, they just got married. They just jumped over the broomstick. Then do that. In, in our country, we go and get a marriage license and we follow certain procedure and we pay certain fees. And uh, I would say, yes, do that. Because yeah. that's, that's part of I don't think that's the whole of what makes marriage marriage. But I think it's part of what makes marriage marriage. All right. Uh, and uh, our listeners to that is uh, what co- what constitutes marriage? Joe says, according to Luke sixteen eighteen, Romans seven, First Corinthians seven, Ephesians five, as a few of the scriptures concerning marriage, the conclusion is that a, that a marriage acceptable in the eyes of God must between a, be between a man and a woman who who either have never been married or have been widowed. Scriptures forbid any person who has a living covenant spouse from entering into another relationship as long as that first spouse li- yet lives. 
See, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 7, if one is a Christian, the advice is to choose a Christian mate so that they might be of one mind and equally joined in one goal to serve Christ. All right. Uh, I would differ slightly with Joe on that. I, would, uh, I think I could disagree with it on the surface. If there, if you have a covenant mate yeah. that you're still bound to, you're restricted. Yeah, I think that's true. But yeah, I think but, there but, may be some others. There may be something the else. Read, yeah, we might read something in between. We won't get into that yet. Okay. Uh, vows made to each other before man and God constitute a marriage, Christian or not. Vow breakers, uh, says Bill. Thank you, Bill, for that. Okay. So I think we've dealt with that. What constitutes marriage? It would, it would constitute an intention and a commitment or a promise and a coming together to live as husband and wife. It's not just having a sexual relationship, uh, in order to be married. Monty, any thoughts on that? You know, Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, Asked her about her husband. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. He said, well, you spoke well because you've had four husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Yeah. So he understood a difference between a, a fornication, a, an illicit relationship, and a marriage, and, and that that woman was not in a marriage. She was that's just right. in fornication. That's right. That's John fourteen seventeen. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that sayest thou truly. All right, let's get a break, and when we get back from our break, we'll get uh, your thoughts. Uh, we'll take a break, and we'll come back when you talk about what is a biblical divorce. We'll take a uh, break, get this week's bullet point, and continue on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. As Christians, we must expect to be persecuted and ridiculed by those of this world. Jesus said, quote, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, Luke 21, verse 17. This is not surprising. It was the very treatment that Jesus himself received. He said, quote, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, John 15, verse 18. Paul wrote, quote, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. The harsh treatment of the world is always hard to endure, but what is worse is when the mistreatment comes from those who claim to love us. Too often we are assaulted by those closest to us, by our own brethren. David spoke of the terrible hurt he experienced from a friend. Quote, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. Psalm 55, beginning verse 12. Have you been hurt by someone close to you? Have you been betrayed by a brother in Christ? Have you been wronged by those who should have loved you and treated you with kindness and affection? Don't imagine that you're the first to be misused in this way. What you have experienced has been common to God's faithful people throughout the ages. How shall we deal with this sort of painful wound? In the same context quoted above in Psalm 55, David gives the answer, quote, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. That's Psalms 55, beginning verse 16. In the most difficult of times, continue to trust in God and serve him faithfully. Even when betrayed by a friend, maintain your confidence in God. Remember, quote, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate and I'm three. You're doing, and this is the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We won't take the time to tell you all about it tonight, but check out our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Send us questions at collegeview.com anytime. If you have a comment or question you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you at any time. Uh, questions at collegeview.com. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage tonight. All right. So the next question is, what is a biblical divorce? And uh, are civil laws applicable in regards to scriptural marriage and or divorce? Well, um, and here's where we may have some difference with Bill or uh, maybe one of the Joes who called in or, or emailed us. Uh, I believe that Jesus sets forth a principle in Matthew 19.9 in which a person could get a divorce. Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. So there should be no divorcing. The general rule is no divorce. Verse 6, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. 
But in verse 9, Jesus, I clearly believe this, but I know Bill, because I've talked with Bill in the past and corresponded with him. Bill will not agree with me. Uh, but I don't, I don't intend for this to become a debate platform on this subject tonight. we got some other ground we want to cover. But I believe clearly that Jesus set forth in verse 9 an exception if my mate has committed fornication. That is, if my mate has been sexually unfaithful to, unfaithful to me, I can put her away and marry another without committing adultery. Matthew 19.9, I think Matthew 5.32 teaches the same principle. And so, biblically, a person could divorce for that reason. Now, there can be... There can be divorces. I mean, man controls divorcing. You can divorce if you want to, uh, but there's only that one exception that allows a divorce and a scriptural remarriage. But people can divorce, and God acknowledges that a divorce has taken place. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, Paul says to the married, I command yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. He said, don't do it, but if but she did. What was the result of her leaving? They became unmarried. They weren't married anymore. Uh, or, or let, let still her be bound. Still bound, but not married. Right. Man, God controls the marriage bond. Man can marry and divorce. Right. But God controls the marriage ba- bond, and right. this woman was still bound. And so, she, if she did that, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. All right. And and so in regards to civil law uh, that may pertain to divorce and marriage, do do civil laws pertain? We already talked about marriage and and obeying the civil law in regards to marriage. I think we we can do the same thing about divorce. You know, uh, just like there is a... Every society, every culture has a convention that acknowledges when two people are married. Every culture or society also has a convention that recognizes or acknowledges when people are no longer married. And so, yes, if you're going to divorce, you would have to use the procedure of whatever culture you live in or the civil laws that pertain to you wherever you might live. All right, we're going to go to the phones, and Bill is back on the line. Bill, welcome back to the program. Oh, well, uh, uh, thank you. Let me turn this down. Uh, you, uh, on the Internet, you've been cutting in and out, and uh, I'm missing some of what's being said. Uh, uh, we're talking about uh, the uh, uh, Matthew 19 and 9. He was talking about uh, the exception clause. Yes. You have to keep that in context with what the Pharisees were asking him. Okay. Uh, they were asking him, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And then Jesus goes into the explanation there, and he gives the uh, uh, his Jesus's divorce. Uh, I mean, his marriage law is the same as it was in the beginning. That man and wife were bound to each other, and, and no man can put them asunder. And uh, and so he was telling the Pharisees that if the fornication had occurred during uh, their betrothal period that uh, they could uh, put away that wife and get another one. And how do, you, uh, now, how do you know that that was during the betrothal period, Bill? Well, you take uh, you, uh, you look at the example of, of uh, Joseph and Mary. The, Joseph knew that he could put away Mary if she had committed fornication. And he was going to put her away, and so how do I know that uh, that the uh, that that they're talking about uh, the betrothal period in that? Because the word fornication means premarital sex. No, it doesn't, uh, Bill. No, it doesn't. That's not. That's why not. It? That's not a thorough definition of the word fornication. Pornia. That is not. It does not mean just premarital sex. It means any unlawful or illicit, unauthorized sexual relationship. Homosexuality is fornication. Bestiality is fornication. Uh, it's not just premarital sex between a man and a woman. That's 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 an inaccurate definition of fornication. Well, you're uh, you're, you're using it in, in the broad term there, and, and it, it does not mean all those things that you wish to bring into it. 
Uh, I just uh, now you're going to have to you're going to have to break out some Greek lexicons to prove that to me because I have done that and I know you're well, wrong about that, Bill. Well, uh, you, you know I, I don't believe that I am. Uh, re- go over to John eight forty one and read John eight forty one when the when the when the uh, the uh, Pharisees accused Jesus of being born in fornication. Did that mean homosexuality there, or in the broad term that you mean there? No, there's all kinds of different... Fornication's a broad term that includes all kinds of sexual sin. Yeah, but listen, the the Pharisees were talking to Jesus, and they said, you were born in fornication, meaning that they were trying to discredit his birth. That would have been, and that would have been, that would have been a form of fornication, but it's not all. Bill, we're not going to get off on this. We're not going to eat up the rest of our time on this one specific question. I want to get back to Matthew 19.9, Bill, quickly. Uh, And I want want a little bit more definition as how we can say that uh, the Pharisees were asking about if it was unlawful for a man to put away his his fiancée rather than his wife. Because it says, is is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And you're you're reading into that 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 has to be uh, that it would be his fiance and not his wife. I need a little bit more definition on that. I would quickly tell you to go and read Mark ten, okay, ten, eleven, and twelve when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he told them what his marriage law was right there. He did he here too, in, though. He did he, here he, too. He was he was he was not in a conversation with the Pharisees and. And Mark 10, 10, 11, and 12 are in uh, uh, Luke 16, 18. What about Matthew 5, 32? That falls in the same category as Matthew 19 and 9. And no, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 32 well, is the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching the gospel of the uh, kingdom. Yeah, the book of Matthew was written primarily to Jewish audiences, and most of the people there that on the on the, uh, well, Bill, on the listen, Sermon Bill, on the Mount were, Jew- were the Jewish audience. Bill, we know that we disagree on this. You and I have been into this a number of times in the past by correspondence. We want to cover some other territory tonight, and I'm not going to go any further, and I'm going to call this off right here for the purpose of making some progress on some other important aspects that you and I actually agree about, uh, because we're not going to resolve this, uh, and I don't want our listeners to be uh, have all their time consumed to you and I rehashing differences that we have discussed numerous times before. So I appreciate you, appreciate you calling in, but we're going to move on from this topic and try to cover some of these other questions. Thanks, Bill. Okay, let me tell you this. I appreciate very much that you had this on the topic for tonight. Okay, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening, Bill, and for your call. Uh, Bill made made a point about... um, uh, about certain passages that don't contain the exception clause, but we have to take all of the scriptures to determine what God's truth is. Right. For instance, we could look at Acts chapter six, and some would like to do this. Acts chapter um, uh, Acts chapter uh, two, verse twenty-one, for instance, where it says, "It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." Some would like to say, "Well, see there, it says what you need to do to be saved, and you just need to call on the Lord." And some would say, "That's what you got to do. Baptism isn't part of that." No. Bill, I think, would say, no, you've got to take all of just the book of Acts, for instance, to determine there's other things you've got to do in order to be saved. For instance, repent and confess and be baptized. The same is true, we believe, for these other passages where the exception clause is not mentioned. doesn't mean that there is no exception clause. We read other passages that give us more information on the entirety of Jesus' teaching. I think that's right. But let's okay. move on. Let's move on quickly. Are we, uh, where Have we had our bullet point yet? We have, yeah. Yeah, all right. So, so let's let's get real quickly. Let's see if we can take another question. Our civil laws. Uh, we already talked about civil laws that. being pertinent. Let's look at number eight. Can marriages be annulled? And Monty had the answer to that before we even started the program. Monty? The answer is no. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, some people say that a marriage can be annulled if uh, the sexual relationship hadn't been consummated yet. I don't know where you go in the Bible to get that answer. Right. But well, what uh, you get to is the commitment has already been made. Promises you've made have the already, commitment. Yeah. You've made the promises. Yeah. This, this is what I'm going to yeah. do. Yeah. And you've gone through the process. Well, the fact that whatever happened that rendered you, rendered the sexual intimate part of the relationship not happening doesn't change the fact you've done made promises that you're bound to keep. I think you're And we missed a comment along those lines. Guess 6767 says, doesn't Malachi chapter 2 verse 14 help define a marriage when it says she is the wife, your Um, wife by covenant? I I think that's right. And I think that is she uh, she is your companion and your wife by covenant, Malachi 214 says. 
so that that's I think does define it. We made an agreement that that we were going to be husband and wife, and the sexual relationship doesn't yeah. have any say. Well, well, you know, that I think that presumes a, an argument that we already dealt with. Sexual intimacy is typically a part of the marriage relationship, but if it can people be married who cannot physically have sexual relationships? I think so. Because they can, they can make a determination, they can make a, an intention, they can make a promise, they can make a commitment. Think of someone who physically is incapable of that act. Can they be married? I, I say yes. And so, you know, I don't think that that act is, is what constitutes marriage and therefore the, the basic idea of annulling a marriage if sexual intimacy hasn't occurred yet suggest that marriage isn't marriage unless that happens, and I don't believe that's really the case. All right. Uh, let's see. Joe in West Virginia says, uh, as the scriptures of the covenant of Christ do not refer to any such thing as an, an annulment, we have been given no guidance in such an issue by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my opinion has no place in establishing doctrine here. Uh, so uh, Joe says the scriptures don't say anything about it. How could we have uh, an understanding of, of it if the scriptures don't teach anything about it? Okay, and uh, in the chat room, David Wheeler says uh, on this divorce question, there's a difference between marriage, divorce, bonding, and loosing. Men marry and divorce, and God binds and looses. Uh, we must... Uh, yeah, he clarifies that. We must only seek to marry, divorce, what God will bond and loose. Exactly, I think that's right. Okay, good. All right, so let's see. Let's grab our last break, Jacob, and then we're going to rush to the top of the hour. And, um, well, quickly. Oh, that's number nine. Actually, what David is addressing there is question number nine, so we can mark that one off. What's the difference between married and bound? And David in the chat room has answered that. Men make a determination to marry, and they may, to, may, they may decide to divorce. And, and, and neither one of them may be right. The marriage may be unscriptural. The divorce may be unscriptural. God binds two eligible people into a marriage relationship. In other words, they're bound by God. An eligible man and an eligible woman, when they decide to marry, they marry and God binds them. Now, God can loose one or other, uh, one or the other of them. Uh, Death, for instance, would loose one from a marriage bond. You're not bound to to a a mate who has died. Romans chapter 7 would teach you that. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 and 2 would teach that. I believe that the exception of Matthew 19.9, Matthew 5.32 says that if my mate is unfaithful, sexually unfaithful to me, I can be loosed from that. She'll remain bound as the guilty party. She'll remain bound. She can't remarry, but I could be loosed to marry again. But men marry and divorce, God binds and looses. I think David's exactly right. All right. Uh, all right. We'll get a break. When we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour. Lots of ground to cover. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock. It's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 128. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to the Hartford Institute of Religion Research, more than 40% of Americans say they go to church weekly, but less than 20% are actually in church on a given Sunday. In other words, more than 80% of Americans are finding something they'd rather do on weekends. Some estimates say that between 8,000 and 10,000 churches will likely close this year. 
Between the years of 2010 and 2012, more than half of all churches in America added not one new member. Each year, nearly 3 million more previous churchgoers enter the ranks of the religiously unaffiliated. That information is via the Huffington Post. The Word of God says in Judges 2, verse 10, There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program talking about marriage, divorce, remarriage, and lots of ground to cover still. In the chat room, Joe sent in, we were talking with Bill about the idea of Matthew 19.9, and there's an exception there to this idea that you should not get a divorce or cannot get a divorce. Jesus introduced an exception uh, when he said that you could get a divorce if it was for the cause of fornication. Joe says the topic of Matthew 19.9 is Jesus addressing Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1-4, through 4, or that Old Testament covenant. He's answering a question with regard to the Mosaic law and not the New Testament law of Christ. You made a comment during the break that I thought was very uh, applicable here. Yeah, I, I don't think Matthew, I don't think Jesus was elucidating on Moses' law about divorce and remarriage. He was establishing his own law the law of Moses said if a woman, if your wife committed fornication, if, in other words, if your wife was unfaithful to you, she should be stoned. Adulterers were to be stoned under the law of Moses. So Jesus wasn't elucidating on Moses' law. He was establishing his own law. All right, Monty, there was no, uh, there was no provision for that type of divorce in the Old Testament. You don't have to divorce a dead person. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go, let's go on. Real quickly. What should question ten was what should an innocent mate do if their mate seeks a divorce? So here's the scenario being suggested. Uh, here's this woman, and she's she's been a, a good and faithful wife, but her husband uh, has found a, a new girlfriend, mm. and he's he, he said, "I'm going to divorce you and marry my new girlfriend." What should she do? Uh, well. She should do what Matthew 19.9 says. She has an unfaithful mate. She should put him away. Uh, in other words, I, I, think, I, I think obviously, you know, you make whatever effort you can to save a marriage. But when it becomes clear that he's committed to follow that course of action, I believe the answer is do the putting away. Don't let him do the putting away without you doing a putting away. Uh, because Jesus teaches that a put away person doesn't have the right to be remarried. And unfortunately, sometimes innocent mates allow that. They allow themselves to be put away. They they are passive in the action, and they need to be active in the action. Yeah, I agree with that completely, because otherwise then you are that put-away person that Jesus clearly said that can't get remarried. Right. So I would say to an innocent to an innocent mate whose mate is seeking a divorce, assuming that that mate is, is a, a guilty fornicator, then... You don't let him take that action unilaterally. You take an action. Before this marriage is dissolved, you make an action to put away. And not just your your thoughts here. These are what the Scriptures teach. This this would lead to, and we probably uh, have touched on this in the past, this would lead to the mental divorce position. Some say, well, here's an innocent maid. Her husband put her away because he wanted to marry another woman. Now now she's put away, but she she can do a mental divorce. She can put him away in her mind. So she can remarry, and that's just not biblical. All right, on to the next question. Is it permissible to divorce when no fornication has occurred so long as both parties remain unmarried? We've heard that before. We've heard people say, you know, I'm, I'm not getting along with my husband, my, my wife, I don't like her. Uh, we're just going to get a divorce. But we're not going to get remarried. But it's okay right, because okay. we're not going to get remarried. Yeah. We, neither yeah. one of us want to get married no, again. No, no, no. We're just going to divorce. Yeah. Well, that exception clause there cuts both ways in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus gave one exception that would tell us then if adultery has not occurred and we're not divorcing for that reason, we can't get a divorce. Yeah, there's still promise. You're breaking promises. You right. made promises. Uh, it, it is a covenant. Yeah. And to just say, well, we're going to divorce. We're just not going to get remarried. No, you're still breaking your promises. You're still sinning. You know, some people would use the passage I cited earlier, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. To the married I command yet not I, but the Lord let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her re- remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Mm-hmm. Said, well, look, she can she can remain unmarried. 
Well, no, look again. She did what it says don't do. She sinned. Now, if she sinned, then don't compound the sin by marrying someone you don't have a right to be married to. But it's said in verse 10, let not the wife depart from her husband. So if she does depart from her husband, she sinned. She did what it says don't do. Now, if she did that, don't commit a second sin by marrying someone else. Remain unmarried or be reconciled. But you sinned when you did what it says don't do. Read that passage one more time. Let not the wife, uh, to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Very similar language in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where John writes, My little children, these things I write unto you, so you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John says, I'm writing these things to you so you don't sin, but if you do, here's what you do about it. Yeah. Same uh, construction of that. He's telling you what you do if you're married don't get a divorce, but if you do, here's what you do about it. Yeah. All right. Doesn't mean that it's okay to get a divorce any more than it means it's okay to sin. Yeah. All right. You know, in First Corinthians chapter seven and verse three, it says, "Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband." And then in verse five it says, "Do not deprive one another." So what he's saying here is, you, you've got obligations in that marriage that has to be kept and fulfilled. Well, if I divorce my wife. I'm not fulfilling those obligations. I'm not rendering her the due affection that she's got coming or she's not giving me the affection. So, therefore, just because I've divorced and remained unmarried, I'm still in violation of that command. All right. I think you're right, Mike. Okay. All right, real quick, number 12, since baptism washes away past sins, would two people who are unscripturally married be cleansed of their adultery and be able to remain married? Bill in Texas said that's ridiculous to reach such a conclusion. Uh, I think he's right. He says, what about a horse thief? Should he return the horse? Sure, baptism washes away, but there is such a thing called repentance. Admit it and quit it. Can they have sex again and commit adultery? Of course they. Uh, oh, they could not. In other words, they can't stay married because it would be continuing the adultery. I think Bill's right about that. You know, in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine: Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived: neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Yeah. Notice, some of these people had been adulterers, but now they've been baptized. Can they continue in the adulterous relationship? Well, no more so than the homosexual could continue in his homosexual relationship. No more so than the idolater could continue committing idolatry. No more so than the drunk could continue to be a drunk. All of those things would require repentance. And so, in order to be forgiven, when we're baptized, we have to repent. We often say the plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess Jesus and be baptized. Baptism washes away the sins that I repent of. But if I'm refusing to repent, baptism does not wash that sin away. And so if I'm in an unscriptural marriage, baptism doesn't make that right. And, and if I'm determined to continue in it, I'm not even forgiven of the, of the, of the unscriptural sinful marriage relationship. The sin is not just in originating the unscriptural marriage. The sin is also in continuing in that relationship. It's the same thing that got John in trouble in John, in Mark chapter 16, or chapter 6 verse 18. He told Herod, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. It wasn't unlawful for him to marry her. It's unlawful for her. To, it was, but it's also unlawful for him to stay in that relationship. Yeah. All right. Fine. Real quickly, we're going to get 13 in. Number 13, would an abused woman have to remain married to her abusive husband if no fornication has occurred? Here's this guy, and I mean, he is a wife beater. Yeah. He's never cheated on his wife. Right. He's never committed fornication, but he beats his wife regularly. Yeah. Can she divorce him? I don't see any scripture for that. Certainly, it'd be a, a very difficult situation. But there's no scripture that would give us authority uh, to. There's no. Divorce. She can't divorce. There's there's no authority for her to divorce. But she can seek her personal safety and protection. She can call the police. She can call the police. She could even say, "I'm going home and stay with my mom and dad until you get some help." Uh, if you get some help, if you make positive steps to correct this abusiveness, we, I'll, I'll come back home. But until that, I'm, my, I'm, my safety, my children's safety depends on me being not where you can beat on us every time you take a notion to do so. I think she can do things to protect her personal safety. I think the Bible teaches the right of self-defense, and I think that would apply there. But she can't divorce him. There's no authority for her divorcing on that. 
My year. thoughts. I agree with that. You know, it's an unfortunate situation. A lot of people want to throw that out because it's an emotional situation. Well, Monty, would you want your daughter to stay in a marriage where her husband was beating her? Well, what I want really doesn't have anything to do with it is what does the Bible say? And the Bible says short of fornication, there's no authority for a divorce. Well, I mean, we, we're not, yeah, we have to separate our emotions uh, from the issue and just go with what the scriptures teach. Yeah. And, but it certainly would be a difficult situation. Yeah, nobody's denying how difficult that would no, be. No, and, and certainly, yeah, but uh, we've got to go with what the Scriptures teach. All right. And I think end. we made it. We got to the end, and we're just now out of time. We got so. to the end, but I don't think we got, we didn't. We, we didn't, didn't cover we them all very thoroughly. We skimmed across the surface on all 13. <laughs> yeah. But it was a good discussion. All right. Appreciate everyone for listening tonight, and uh, we appreciate those who called in and participated on the phones as well. And uh, maybe we bring the subject up again sometime in the future. Oh, I'm Hopefully sure we will. we will. Hopefully we and we will need to talk about it more in depth. Monty, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you, Jacob. And Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word in the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.